you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling in studio and remotely, Ryan Abraham. He was traveling, so we're keeping him quarantined, uh, but we have the whole crew here today. Wrong way, Ryan. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. We have uh, an update on USC's search for its next uh, tight ends coach. We got news of that on Friday night. An interesting time to drop some news, but we got that news nonetheless. Uh, we'll talk about USC hitting the NCAA transfer portal once again. They picked up a running back, so we'll talk about that. And believe it or not, Signing day. The the real one, quote-unquote. Not sure what you want to call this one anymore, which is sad. It's on Wednesday, so we'll give a preview of that. Uh, you can. We're actually not doing calls today, so sorry about that. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And I believe we're live on all three platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. Ryan's not monitoring you guys today, Periscope. I'm taking over, so I'll do my best to make sure your voice is heard on the show. But uh, we'll be monitoring what you guys say, so be sure to send in your questions. We love talking to you guys. But guys, like I said, the news never stops with USC. The offseason always has news. Uh, let's first start with Seth Daigie. That's the crazy part. I learned last week that it's Daigie, not Doge, like the meme. So there's at least that a PSA for everyone wanting to learn USC's new Titans coach name. Uh, Shaka, first off with you, what were your initial thoughts when you heard this news? Not surprising. You know, it's very similar to the move they made last year, bringing up John David Baker um, from, you know, an internal position on the staff, the support staff as a quality control assistant, moving him up to a, a full-time position coach. Uh, Daigie is similar. You know, he has a background with the air raid. Um, he, he's worked with Mike Jinks before. He was on the staff at Bowling, at Bowling Green with him. And, you know, he, he's worked with Graham Harrell in this offense the last couple of years. So uh, not, not surprising that they made that move. They tried to do some other things, ended up falling back to the same thing, reverted back to what they did last year, which was uh, just hiring someone from within. Mm-hmm. Ryan, uh, what were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I was today years old when I found out his name was Daigie and not um, Doge. I was just, you look at him like, oh, Doge, it just seemed like it made sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, similar to what Shotgun was saying, kind of what we saw last year when John David uh, Baker was hired. It's definitely someone that knows the system better. And I think what you know, Graham Harold, you know, and Clay Halton wanted to do was make sure that the offensive staff they all were, you know, most everyone was familiar with these kind of air raid concepts. And I think so, you know, Daigie is definitely one of uh, you know one of those guys. And I feel like you're going to try to get, you know, there was going to be 
I think maybe a narrow window of who you could hire uh, for the position too, because there is a lot of uncertainty with the head coach, Cleo, and we've, we've covered that a couple of times before. And so I think it's not always easy to kind of fill out the, the staff exactly uh, the way you want it. But there was a case where you could get someone that had some, you know, maybe a little bit more experience, but you felt comfortable with the guy you had in-house. And I feel like they felt comfortable with Seth, Seth Dagey. And so it wasn't going to be looked at as a, a poor hire or anything if they, they got him. But if they could have got someone else, I mean, there was I think there was a couple opportunities to do that. But, you know, I, about what we, we would expect. And, uh, you know, we'll see what kind of a role the tight end slash inside receivers will play uh, in the offense this year. Yeah, and Shotgun, uh, uh, Ryan alluded to it, but USC did try to go after Arizona State's wide receivers coach, Princess Gill. What did you hear on that situation? I know we reported some of that on the Peristyle this week. Yeah, the Trojans made a made a good push after Gill, but uh, inevitably he ends up staying with Arizona State and Herm Edwards, who gave him his first you know full time position. Former USC you know support staff member and quality control, I believe, he was grad assistant uh, with USC, and then he went to Oregon and was was a you know a quality control up there, assistant with their offense, working with their receivers, but known for his re recruiting chops, and that was one of the one of the things that USC was really uh, trying to go after with Prentice Gill. He's got a lot of connections. In the South, in Southern California, you know, he's brought in LV Bunkley Shelton, a four-star, Johnny Wilson, a four-star. He helped out with Isaiah Johnson, the four-star cornerback that the Arizona State has committed as well. So, you know, he he's done a good job in his limited time there of doing a good job recruiting. So that was something that was attractive to USC. They went out and tried to get him, uh, and they sounded like they had a better offer on the table, but. It's the difference between having your own room as a receivers coach and maybe being a tight ends coach and, and you know kind of dual uh, combining with Kerry uh, Colbert to, to be the receivers coach there. So it was a little bit different uh, kind of title, and I, I think that was, was part of the reason why he decided to stay. Mm -hmm. Real quick, uh, two things, Keely. I think it's yeah. really important that you know when uh, you've seen the the new administration kind of build out the support staff around the football program. Part of the importance of that is if you do have to promote from within, you're going to have a good pool of people to do that. And they've done that two years in a row, not just because it's convenient, but because you actually have people that are capable. And uh, you know the fact that uh, John David Baker gets hired away by Lane Kiffin after just one year as a full-time coach, that's someone that was on USC support staff that was a higher quality person, I, I, you know, candidate for other positions. And I feel like that's important that they actually have some you know good people in the pipeline that they can build into coaches. Sometimes they'll get hired away from another program, or sometimes you can uh, promote them from within. Mm -hmm. And Diggy served under uh, Mike Jinks at Bowling Green. So there is some familiarity and chemistry with the staff. And I know fit was a thing in their search for the next offensive lineman. How much do you think just having familiarity with Jinx and, and the guys after being a, a quality control analyst at USC for two years, how much does that help him in this transition to an assistant coach role? I mean, the big thing with the offensive line was the, the fit and just the communication, being able to speak the same language. Well, obviously, Daggy's going to be able to speak the same language as Mike Jansen, Graham Harrell, and, and Kerry Colbert, having been on the same staff with them for the last two years. So I, I think it's important in that regard and, you know, trying to get this offense to take that next step forward. And that, that starts with running the ball. And that includes the tight ends. That's been a position where they've struggled to block. They have not done a good job the last couple of years blocking at, at the tight end position. And it's an important part for Graham Harrell. 
you know, I've asked him how important, you know, why do you keep the tight end in basically? And he said, it, you know, it's an important thing for us to have to be able to use him as a blocker, but then, you know, to go hurry up and be able to split a guy out as a, you know, as a tight end or, you know, as a, as a receiver, split him out that way and, and be able to use him in a variety of ways. So they, the position is important in Graham Harrell's offense and it's important for him to have it out there on the field, but they've got to do better. They've got to block. They've got to contribute more. Um, and, and that's something we've got to see from that position going forward. Yeah, Ryan, you got to talk to Graham Harrell this week, actually. What are you expecting uh, from what he told you from USC's wi- uh, tight ends in 2021? Yeah, it was interesting. Make sure you check out the, uh, the, the interview. I did a podcast with uh, Graham Harrell. We got to talk for about a half hour or so. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah, you know, we covered a lot of different uh, topics. It feels like the general theme was, you know, they have to go back and look at stuff and, and figure out what they can do better. And I think we didn't get in a ton of detail about utilizing uh, tight ends. And I... I really did want to ask him about, you know, we didn't know who was going to get hired for that position, if it was going to be more of an inside receivers role or a tight end role, or are they just calling it? I mean, I'm not sure. You know, usually for this offense, we've talked about this before, you have an inside receivers coach. Is it going to essentially be that, or is it going to really be more of a tight end? They bring they brought in a couple of tight ends in this class, so I don't think you can, you know, abandon the position. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they – utilize it going forward. I know a lot of fans are kind of upset. Well, they, they don't really use the tight ends at all. Um, but, you know, I think taking that next step, um, you know, hoping to get the running game going again, having the, the right splits for the offensive line, maybe that opens up some holes for guys. And, and you know, working closer with the tight ends and having the blocking schemes to go with it, more of an air rate type of feel, I think there's a lot of hope around USC that they're going to see improvement from that position. In Clay Helton's statement when they released the news about Diggy, uh, Clay talked about how uh, he's a good recruiter. He was helpful, and we know he helped in the recruitment of Miller Moss and uh, Jackson Dart. How much does that help when you promote a guy who is good at fostering relationships, as Clay Helton said, uh, to a, a bigger role on the staff? I mean, it, it helps to already have some relationships built with the guys that are coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, he's taking over a position where you know, you're bringing in Michael Trigg, you're bringing in Lake McCree. Can you can you get those guys to be instant impact guys? Uh, it helps that he's already probably got a relationship with those guys to begin with, uh, from when they've been on their official visits and uh, you know come to campus and different things. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who he's recruiting in that spot because he was recruiting the quarterbacks and a lot of times he would, when he was on the sideline he was talking to uh, Keaton Slovis he was talking with the receivers he was kind of a go in between between different positions so you know what kind of what kind of role do they have for him on field but also you know who exactly is he recruiting is it just tight ends or is he going to uh, help out recruiting in some other spots as well mm-hmm. Ryan I know you already touched on this a little bit but you have been a fierce uh, critic of promoting from within but it sounds like you think that this is different in that sense uh, yeah, I think it's about the way USC did it. It was just sort of like if it was a familiar, you know, hire, we're just like, hey, we know him. Let's let's hire. Like there were some good things about hiring someone that you know, and you know, Shotgun touched on it. You recruited some of these players that are in this class. They're familiar with you. You know the technology, you know the terminology, and all of that. Those are all good reasons to promote from within if you have a good candidate. The problem is, I think what USC was doing before was just promoting from within because. It's someone that knew what they were doing, and it wasn't necessarily the best, uh, you know, the, the best possible position coach that you could find out there. And I feel like they've had a pretty good mix of getting someone from, you know, promoting from within when you feel it was warranted, and then going outside and finding someone else that has an area of expertise that's similar to what you want, but you learned it somewhere else. So I, I feel like it's a better mix now. 
It's one of those things where you just say, hey, never hire anyone that knows the fight song. It's just because that's all they did. So it's not like it's bad if you hire a coach that went to USC at some point, but when you keep doing it over and over and over again, you kind of get up, you get your hand slapped and say, no more of that. So there, I'm okay with the promotion from within and the right spots. I feel like they've done a pretty good job of that uh, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Shotgun, you look like you want to add on to that. I mean, they, they have, they've been able to build the support staff out, so you have more options for one, but you're going out and actually trying to attract, uh, you know, attractive, you're trying to attract you know, support staff that may be able to fill that next role for you uh, versus, you know, just having a couple of guys that are your recruiting guys and nothing else. You, you know, bringing in a guy like Chris Claiborne last year is a guy who obviously had coaching acumen. He's been a head coach. He's a guy that's going, that wants to take that next step and be a college coach. Now he ends up on the Arizona State staff, but he's a guy that you could have looked at depending on where you had a, had a vacancy on your staff because he's a guy who has coaching experience before instead of some of the guys that have previously been on the staff who were just, you know, Eric Ziskin and those type guys who are just strictly recruiting guys. Those aren't guys you're going to promote from within. Real quick, I mean, that's a good point from Shotgun. Is it okay for USD to promote from within? Well, other schools are trying to take your support staff people. They weren't doing that before. So you build out a good support staff. There are people that are capable of becoming assistant coach at other places, and it's okay for, for you to hire them as well. So the fact that other you know programs are taking away some of the, the support staff for USC is a good sign that you've put the right people in place that are people that could potentially be you know assistant coaches, head coaches down the road. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Ryan, because Shaka and I talked about it on the latest Family Feud, but people, fans were very uh, dramatic about Chris Claiborne leaving. And I understand, uh, given his significance to the university, but this is kind of what happens with support staff uh, hires and how they get hired away. For sure. And I, I mean, if you want to do like shotgun analogies where you make like a big blockbuster trade, like if you're trading like Clayton Kershaw and you're sending these prospects, like well, these are the unproven guys, right? And I feel like the support staff a lot of times are unproven guys. Chris Claiborne was a high school you know, head coach in high school, but USC didn't give him a spot, you know, coaching the linebackers. And I don't have an issue with that because he really didn't have any college experience doing that. So I feel like you built it up the right way. Now, maybe a year or two down the road, USC would have promoted Chris Claiborne. And he would have been a linebacker coach uh, for USC or something down there. Who knows? But someone else, they, they hired someone that was good. He works in college kind of learns the college game. And then other programs are like, hey, I want to hire that guy. And there's reasons you want to hire him. Like if you're Arizona State, you're still trying to hammer Southern California and recruit hard in Southern California. They've made great assistant coach hires to help them do that. And I think Chris Claiborne is just another example of that. You know, Antonio Pierce or Chris Hawkins, like all those guys. But it just wasn't the right time for USC. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, uh, take a knock at USC because they didn't hire Chris Claiborne, but they brought him in and, and gave him that opportunity to get into college, and now he is. And who knows, maybe he gets a couple of years seasoning as a linebacker coach at Arizona State, and USC hires him back in a few years. I mean, it's just how it works. But they found the right guy, gave him a start, um, and that's I think that's what you have to do when you're building out a support staff. You're finding these people that are, are potential coaches down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ideally, if you're a blue blood program, if you're the elite program in a conference – then that's what you want. You bring in some guys that are support staff. They're your alumni. They're going to be support staff. They're going to help out. They're going to see the way you do things. And then they get hired away somewhere else, and they get groomed as as a full-time coach elsewhere. And then if they're really good, then you bring them back on. That's what you want as a blue blood. That's you know, look at what Alabama has done. 
you know, just repetitively under Nick Saban, where he brings coaches in there. You know, Steve Sarkeesian is a, a quality control assistant, you know, working with the offense. Same thing with Butch Davis and all those other coaches, former head coaches that come in as analysts and stuff for them. And then if they have an opening, hey, maybe we'll hire with them, we'll push. Or, you know, if it's a young guy that, you know, is being, is kind of cutting his teeth, then maybe he goes out and he, he gets a job at a different SEC school. And if he does really well, then, that, you know, when they have that next opening, that's when Nick Saban brings him back in and says, you know, this is a, a guy that we've groomed previously and we've seen what he can do as a full-time position. That's what Blue Bloods do. And that's what USC is doing a little bit better now rather than saying, we'll take the guy that's unproven and we'll make him make him good for from, from our school. No, if you're the Blue Blood, you should be able to have other people do your grooming for you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to move on to the news of the week as far as NCAA transfer portal. USC went back to Texas, picking up a running back this time, Keontae Ingram. Ryan, something we talked about is uh, how does USC attract a running back to the school, given, you know, what we've seen from the running back position? uh, What do you think of this uh, pickup that USC got? Yeah, you know, uh, Gabe Brooks uh, does a great job uh, covering uh, Texas recruiting. And, uh, you know, he came on our site and posted an article that gave a lot of information about it. So if you got to go check it out on uscfootball.com. It's it's one of those things where it feels like you have a talented running back that maybe wasn't in the right position for him. It, it looked pretty good. As, I think he had 10 touchdowns his sophomore year and then had an injury and things kind of fell off. Uh, his junior year, I think there was a fumble or two that were kind of costly and sort of um, you know, and then Bijan Robinson, yeah, ended up, you know, taking things over. It just seemed like you had a really talented tailback, maybe wasn't in the right position, probably put on a little too much weight. Um, I think he got up to 230 pounds at one point. Similar to what, you know, with Marquis Stepp. I think Marquis Stepp's a great running back. It's just the situation at USC wasn't the right fit at the time, whatever reason. I think that you're, you're going to see a similar kind of thing, you know, at Texas. And will he be able to come over and, you know, plug in and, you know, he's, you know, he's got the potential to come in and, and be a starter uh, for USC for sure. I mean, he can come in and, and, and get a lot of playing time. And it was one of those things where he did run a bunch of those spread concepts when he was in high school and had those kind of wide splits and it seemed to work out pretty well. And he wasn't really doing that same thing at Texas. So USC's offense might be a better fit for what we saw when he was in high school, the kind of stuff that, you know, that he was able to do and, you know, ran track and all this kind of stuff. So there's speed there, um, you know, six foot one, I think, Gabe was thinking he should probably play around 210 or so. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what weight he comes in at and, and where they want to play him at. But, I, you know, they needed to get a running back out of the transfer portal. And you get a guy like that that's got success in college, you're a super talented kid coming out of high school. That's, I mean, that's pretty good for USC because, like you said, Keely, it wasn't going to be easy to find a guy when you're last and rushing in the Pac-12. But you still got those Heismans in, in Heritage Hall. There's still some stuff you can sell uh, to these running backs. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use them and then how this running game progresses going forward because you can't have the kind of year that you had in 2020 and, you know, under 100 rushing yards a game. Yeah. It'll be interesting as far as the weight goes, Ryan. Obviously, when Mike Jinks got to USC, he said, I've never had any running backs this big. So maybe Keontae Egram, you know, dropped some weight and, you know, that's what they're looking for, Mike Jinks, a guy that plays it, you know, between 200 and 210 rather than a guy that's at 220 to 230 where he's had – you know, Stephen Carr and Vi and, and Marquis Stepp before him. So uh, maybe that fits better for him. And that's something you could sell. It's like, hey, we want you to drop down the weight that you were. We saw what you can do at this weight. We think you're going to excel here. You know, this is the way we see it. 
So it's, it's selling those type of things. It's selling, hey, this is the type of offense where we think you'll excel. It's also the relationships. You know, having that connection from, you know, having a couple of Texas coaches on the staff, that obviously does not hurt them there to be able to build that connection and, and, and having all the Texas um, inroads that USC has on the offensive side. You know, from John David Baker when he was on staff still with, with Graham Harrell and with Mike Jinks and, and, you know, having those guys all have, and even Clay Helton, you know, all of them have Texas backgrounds. So, you know, when it comes to your high, talking to your high school coach, your trainer and all those type things, when you're looking in the transfer portal, I think all those played into Keontae Ingram potentially, uh, you know, with him coming into USC. Mm-hmm. And Shotgun, you also talked about how it was a benefit for USC based on where he slots in eligibility-wise yeah. in, the, in the depth roster as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact that he still has, you know, he has multiple years of eligibility, he basically is taking over the spot as far as your scholarship chart for Marquis Stepp. Just as far as because if USC, they've been trying and trying and trying to bring in two running backs. Well, if you bring in two running backs in this class, or even if you bring in three running backs in this class, um, and then you have Stephen Carr and Vi leave, well, now if you're one of those guys and you don't get carries immediately, are you looking at it and going, okay, well, I'm fourth or I'm fifth or on the depth chart? I'm going to hit the transfer portal because I'm stuck in the same class as these other guys. I'm never going to pass over them. Um, so this creates that separation of classes that you're looking for. You want to basically take a running back every class. You want to take a quarterback every class. And this puts USC back back on track a little bit better uh, by getting a guy who's a, a redshirt sophomore um, after this season. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, I know you can't necessarily make up for what you lose in marquee step, but how does USC maybe get power back into its running back depth? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure power is really going to come into play as much. I mean, I feel like... They're not going to get under center. They're not going to, you know, they're not, they're not going to like power through things at third and one and fourth and one. They would hand it the step and he could do that. Um, I'm not sure you want Ingram to be that kind of guy. I really want him to be more of a fit in the overall scheme where he can catch the balls out of the backfield. They want to, you know, utilize him in, in that role and, you know, kind of run through the, the zone blocking scheme, some of those wider splits. He just seemed to have a real knack for that when he was in high school. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to hit you know, replace him and make him like some kind of power guy or anything. I'm just not sure that's what they're going to to run. But you want to have effective schemes on short yardage situations. If you're not going to go under center, I, I think they need to spread it out a little bit more. And I think that's what we're going to see going forward. But I, I yeah, I, w- I wouldn't look at him as some guy that's going to come in and, and run a bunch of power plays. I think it's just going to be more about he's a more of an air raid kind of scheme you know, running back from a scheme point of view. And what does that, how does that elevate USC's running game in 2021? And that's something that Shotgun and I actually talked about is that I think part of the reason why Marquis Steph was a fan favorite was the fact that he was so powerful he could make opportunities for himself, whereas yeah. USC's scheme didn't really allow that for other backs. Shotgun, you can take it away because I know you have some thoughts on this. Well, just maybe now we'll see they'll stop trying to do that type of stuff. You know, stop trying to bunch up the offensive line to get a third and one. Just run your stuff that you, you know, normally would run. And, you know, USC, it's not a goal line package. It's not a short yardage package. But you would see they would very frequently, when they needed a third and one, after they pick up a nine-yard game, what are they going to do? They're going to hurry up, and then they're going to squeeze in the tights, uh, you know, their splits, and then try to run it, you know, and pick up one yard. And they would leave somebody off the edge. And if the, you know, if they weren't able to pick up one yard, they were often hit in the backfield. So maybe they'll run their normal stuff, 
be able to attack the edges, attack with the the zones, uh, the outside zone scheme and stuff like that. And you know, you can mix things in and do some different things. But it was it was something where it worked occasionally. But teams just caught on, like okay, when they you know they hurry up to the line, they're going to run something, and it's going to be you know uh, an immediate run right up the middle, basically. Well, if you know what's coming, you can pretty much stop it in football. That's kind of the way things work. So you need to have what's going to be the option off that. They never. What really frustrates is watching the offense is like they can you can run that stuff, but then you also need to play action, throw at the tight end. There's opportunities that were there that they just didn't take advantage of. It didn't seem like there were different things you could do with jet motions and different things on those third and one situations, even if you're not going under center. Uh, so if you're not going to do that, then don't run the same, basically the same exact play every time, which is kind of what they were doing. It was a you know a high prevalency of running the same thing over and over. Ryan, I know you talked to Graham Harrell about the run game. What do you have to say? Yeah, no, well, I agree with what Shotgun's saying is because if you're going to say, hey, we don't go under center, well, then you have to have other options where you're a shotgun or a pistol, you're looking around and it's like, okay, the box is stacked. We're supposed to hand it off, just sideways hand off to Marquis Step. But there's a, you know, there's off coverage on my slot guy. I can just, you know, I can pick up third and one really quickly that way. Or the running back swings out, or, you, you know, you fake it one way and you dump it off there and you're picking up yardage that way. So you don't always have to just line up in your kind of passing formation and run out of it. And it seems like that's what, uh, USC was doing. For what Graham Harrell was saying, like, I don't know if it was the greatest answers in the world. It was just really talking about, you know, what they do well, look at everything as, as far as like, was it personnel problems? Was it scheme problems? Was it execution problems? Uh, and it seems like there's still going to be a lot of tape watching to kind of figure out, you know, exactly what they were, were doing. I'm, I'm guessing that it's been such, you know, it, it's been hit negatively, you know, in the media and the fans and everything. I don't think they can allow that to happen again where you're last uh, in the Pac-12. It's going to be, you know, hopefully it's going to be more of a a normal year. And if you remember, I think, I don't know if it was Shotgun that asked, um, you know, Graham Harrell about the, the lack of running game. I think it was Washington, maybe Washington State game where they ran for five yards. But, and his answer was, well, Keith Slovis completed 17 straight passes like to end the half. Um, if, if, sorry if that was the wrong game. And that's true. I mean, when the when the passing offense is working, it, it's fine. But you still have to be able to run the football effectively. And there was just too many games where they weren't effective doing that. And I, I feel like that's going to be one of those sticking points in this offseason, Keely. They're going to have to address it one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every once in a while, you're going to throw a ball. Wide receiver drops it. Second down, you throw a ball and you pick up nine yards. Guess what? It's third and one. You've thrown <laughs> the ball two times successfully. The wide receiver dropped one. However... What are you going to do on third down? Can you not run the ball so you have to throw the ball every time? No, you need to be able to run the ball. You get down on the goal line, you need to be able to run the ball. You know, you don't have to run the ball for 200 yards a game, but you need to be successful when you attempt to run the ball. You don't have to run it 40, 50, 60 times a game, but be successful in the 20 to 30 that you're going to run the ball. That's the biggest difference is that they, when they would attempt to run the ball, they weren't being successful after the first two games last season. Mm-hmm. Um. Since we're on the topic of the transfer portal, we've gotten multiple questions about this on both YouTube and Facebook. So I'm just going to bring it up right now, even though we talked about it last week. Uh, USC did pick up Katie Nixon from Colorado. Uh, I believe it was two weeks ago. Uh, Ryan, what is USC getting in uh, Colorado's receiver? Yeah, I mean he's a he's a playmaker guy. I mean he can make dudes miss. Um, you see him; they were he's someone that you could use all over the field. He returns kicks, so like you know. Could he be that jack-of-all-trades, like a Dory Jackson kind of guy, but on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, he just did a lot 
for Colorado. And when he was teamed up with LaVisca Chenault, man, that, that was a deadly duo. So, you know, he's going to have some really good receivers to kind of pair up with at USC. And I feel like there's going to be, you know, just a lot of options for, for someone like that, where you could, you know, he could do a jet sweep or catch something out of the backfield, line up in the backfield and catch a little swing pass or go deep or whatever it is. I mean, he just seems to be good at all that stuff. He's kind of a gadget guy and can and, and do a lot of things on the field. So I think there's just a lot of options for Graham Harrell to be able to to use a guy like that. They got, you know, it's not the greatest receiver depth, but obviously the top end talent is tremendous. And having a guy like uh, Katie Nixon, a proven college football player coming in, I think, you know, you got a Bruce McCoy who's done some stuff. You got a Kyle Ford you think is going to do amazing things, but Katie Nixon is a guy that's actually done it. So you know what you have in that. And then you have all this upside from some of the younger guys coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing with Katie Nixon, you talk about all those things you can do with him. Are they going to do any of that stuff with him? <laughs> I mean, that's the big question. I mean, you Fair. can do a lot of things with Amon Ross St. Brown, and they did occasionally. They did, especially last year when they lost the running backs. They got more creative and they used him in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you know, I chart all the plays. And I had to put a, make a lot of new uh, 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 notes on my, my spreadsheet and stuff for where he was at and using him in different motions and whatnot. But that was the rarity. That wasn't the norm. So are they going to do that with Katie Nixon? Are you going to use him for jet sweeps and fly motions? Are you going to do those type things? There's a lot of things you can do. You can do the same things with Gary Bryant. You can do, you know, you can do some unique things with Drake London. But... How often are they actually doing those things? That's a big question. You know, a lot of times they're not taking advantage of those matchups and they're just saying, our offense will work. You know, there'll be somebody open every time if we just run the offense right instead of, hey, let me create a mismatch that's going to really exploit the defense. They're just saying, hey, we'll run to grass and we'll find there'll be somebody open and as long as the quarterbacks go through his progressions, you know, progressions are golden. You know, they say that all the time. Uh, as long as he goes through his, or reads are golden, I think it is. So as long as he goes through his progressions and makes the right reads, then they're going to pick up yards every time. But how often are they saying, ooh, as a freshman cornerback over there, let's see what we can do to exploit him. Now they do it occasionally. You saw it with like the, I think it was a Tyler Vaughn's touchdown, I want to say against UCLA, where they ran a double move. They said, hey, we've been saving that one, and we ran it. But it, it seems like there's a handful of plays at best every week for that, and then we're going to run our regular offense all the time. So you get three or four plays, you're like, all right, we hope these really hit. Uh, but, and if they don't, you know, it might be that toss sweep to, to Gary Bryant Jr. that failed miserably. Uh, but the rest of the time is just going to run the regular stuff. So did you see somebody like Gary Bryant check in for a couple of plays and you go, man, I wish they'd try to find a way to get this guy, to get the ball in this guy's hands because he's special when he does. So are they going to do that with Katie Nixon? That's a big question for me. We actually got a question uh, from Jasper Smith about it. He says, does transfer portal wide receiver Katie Nixon take reps away from guys like Kyle Ford, Gary Bryant, and even Josh Jackson? Sure. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Anytime you bring no someone receiver, new, yeah. <laughs> but USC finished the season with f- five returning uh, wide receivers that were healthy, and one of them was playing defense at the end of the year. So USC actually just lost a player um, at the wide receiver position. Which, if you read the war room, it's in there. So you guys better sign up to find out who they're losing there. But so their depth continues to, to slim down at the wide receiver position. They don't have that many bodies. They have great, like Ryan said, they have great talent, top-end talent. And even bringing in the three wide receivers that are coming in um, with the freshman class, you know, they're going to add some depth too and might be, you know, called on immediately. 
Um, but there's not a bunch of bodies. So if you have a couple more injuries like they, they've had in the last couple of years, you could be uh, in, in trouble there again. So I'm not really worried about stealing reps from some of the younger guys. Yeah. And real quick, Shotgun mentioned that I should have mentioned at the top of the show. We are doing a 60% off sale. So if you're not a VIP yeah. member, yeah, to uscfootball.com, you can read the war room. There's a lot of juicy nuggets in the war room this past week uh, on Friday. But yeah, so if you're not a member, you can join now 60% off. Uh, it's crazy deals. So they're doing it for this pre-signing day stuff. So make sure you check it out. You want to get involved in USA football, know what's going on all the time. Go to the water cooler and tell your friends all about what's going on. You will know when you get your subscriber to uscfootball.com. The virtual water yeah, cooler that's what I was say. Yeah, I guess we can't do that anymore. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I asked our Gerard Martinez, who is our uh, uh, recruiting analyst, what he considers Wednesday these days. And he said, an afterthought, <laughs> just because the early signing period kind of takes away the excitement of National Signing Day, if you will. What are you guys expecting uh, for USC on Wednesday? I mean, it really comes down to one player. It's Rajon Davis. It's boomer bust for them as far as uh, Wednesday goes, just because he's the one big target they still have on their board. Now, they're also in the mix for Austin Uke, the, the offensive lineman from Texas. I um, mean, sure, they could use more offensive line talent. Uh, that's obvious. Um, but Rajon Davis is a potential difference maker on the defensive side and a guy who decommitted from LSU. USC has been in the top, his top couple of schools at least. He did take a visit to Ohio State recently. Um, so there's some thought that maybe the Buckeyes are, are creeping in, whereas USC was the leader, you know, coming off the decommitment from LSU. So we'll see. He's going to make his announcement on 24-7 Sports is live show on Wednesday. So make sure you guys are tuning into that to see if he does pick USC. There's another really, really big target out there. JT Tuimoloao, the defensive tackle from Eastside Catholic and outside of Seattle. However, he's the number one pick. I mean, the number one uh, recruit overall in the 24/7 Sports rankings. Uh, so you could potentially pair him with the number one composite uh, ranked player in Corey Foreman if you're USC. But he is not going to make his decision right now. He's going to wait. He really wants to take visits to schools. He didn't get a chance to do that one because he's a basketball player. So he's also super athletic. I've seen him play tight end and just dominate people. Um, so he, he's really, really good. If you haven't seen his highlights, you should check those out. But because of his basketball, he did not take a lot of visits like a lot of other kids did. So then when the whole process was shut down, he has not been able to see a, a lot of the schools that he wants to look at. So he wants to wait until probably April when they're supposed to, the NCAA is going to open up. Uh, the, the dead period is finally going to be uh, pulled back. So he wants to go take his visits and be able to check out the campuses and stuff and then make a decision after that. Mm -hmm. And as far as Austin Uke, Uke, I switch it each time I say it. What are you expecting from him, Shotgun? I mean, he, he's an offensive lineman akin to when USC offered him, he was committed to Holy Cross. So yeah. he's really blown up, and that's one of the reasons why he didn't sign in December. You know, he wanted to wait and see how the process played out and see who had spots left. And he's got a ton of offers from across the country. Uh, I haven't seen any updates on him recently, but that's another guy that USC is in the mix for. They were one of the first big schools to offer him. So they're a, a school that could potentially bring in another offensive lineman there. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan, okay. go, go ahead, Ryan. Ryan. Well, just quick on Ridge on Davis, you know, we the hashtag take back the West and all that. Too many of the local, you know, highly ranked players were going to the SEC or they're going to Clemson, places like that. So to get a, you know, there's some turmoil, obviously, at LSU after they won the championship. Um, to get a guy that was committed uh, to LSU and is a local guy from a feeder high school that, you know, typically guys go to USC and to be able to land him in a position of need, it's a big deal. So, you know, it's not a lot of players are going to be on this. Afterthought signing day, the Wednesday signing day, but that's a big one uh, if, if USC is able to get uh, Rajon Davis. 
That's what I was going to ask you, Ryan. You've been covering recruiting for a long time. How have you seen just it evolve with this early signing period? This this day on Wednesday, it just is different. It's different. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I thought with the pandemic that we might, get, you know, like push it off to like the regular signing day. I just like the timing better. There's so much going on. It's like, you know, it's like like it's like you're putting like, well, Christmas is great, but let's add. Thanksgiving and Halloween, like right before it too. And just, you have all this stuff going on. So there's like the getting ready for bowl games and the championship and all, you know, the, the conference championships and all that. And while you're preparing for all this stuff, like you have to like sign most, you know, 80, 90% of your recruiting class uh, right before the holidays and finals. And just everything's going on at once. I don't mind an early signing period, but having it like, you know, basically a month and a half before the regular one, it became the de facto signing period. I would rather see them, if you're that quarterback that's been committed for a year and a half and you want to sign in like July or something, that's cool. Like it's a, it's not a lot going on there. You'll get some players that are just like, this is the school I want to go to. I'm going to sign early and be done with it. Then everyone else, wait till after the season, wait till after the bowl games, wait till after the coaching carousel happens and sign in February. So I think it would work better that way. Hopefully we get to that at some point, but they sort of like shoehorned this early signing period right in the you know the middle of everything, all this action, especially this year with the pandemic, it was even yeah. worse. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah, and it's like it's like six weeks difference. So yeah, how much how much difference is it really making six weeks? Um, like like Ryan said, I would be much more in favor of an actual early signing period before players' senior year. You know, whether that be in August or whatever, but before their senior year of football. And then you have National Signing Day in February. It, it's unfortunate for, for uh, I guess, us and the recruiting services and all that type of stuff because it takes away um, a big off-season date. You know, it was kind of like a national holiday for people before. You know, everyone, some people were calling into work so they could watch and see who's signing on the, the day. You know, that's when you have all the commitments and stuff. You have all the nationally televised commitments. So it made for a fun, interesting day. Um, but now, <laughs> this season in particular, it was really rough just because for USC, it was in the midst of back-to-back short weeks for them. You know, they're playing Oregon in the championship game while also trying to close this class and give them credit for, for doing a really good job and getting a guy like Jackson Dart to, to make his commitment on signing day to USC. But you're trying to close out this class, and they also got Corey Foreman to sign that day, even though it wasn't re- revealed until a couple weeks later. Um, but you're trying to do all that while you just played – a couple of days earlier against UCLA on a short week. Now you've got one less day to prepare for Oregon. You're trying to close out this class. But they didn't know, too. They didn't know that they were playing Oregon. So that was oh, yeah, another factor. As well, so you're, you're bouncing about who you're going to play that week. Yeah. It was it was just hectic. And then, you know, like Ryan said, there's other you know schools that are preparing for bowl games and stuff. Um, so it, it, it's not a great time in the college football calendar for it to be happening. Yeah. Um, now, part of the reason why I think they do is because there's also a December signing period for, for other sports. So maybe that's why they decided that December was a good time. But it just it's, – it's an awkward time to have it as far as the college football schedule. It works out for players, uh, for high school players a lot of times because they're finished up with their high school semesters, I guess. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think ideally you would have an early signing period – prior to the season for the guys that know the school they want to go to, there's not going to be any change of heart type of thing. And then you have one in February. Mm-hmm. You're, you're seeing players like Corey Foreman did. You're, you're having these all-star games like two weeks later where people are usually make their announcements. So they're signing and then like keeping it hush-hush. And so like Clay Houghton didn't even tell his whole staff that Corey Foreman had signed. Like 
that stuff just weird. Like that just, it just like you don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. Just have an early signing period, July, August, something like that. All those guys that want to sign early can. There'll be a handful of dudes, and then everyone else signs in February. I think it would be much better for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Now, Shotgun, you started a new podcast. Uh, we actually, there was some love for you in the chat about uh, your new podcast. Our buddy Stephen Poway uh, dropped some love for you. And because you started the new podcast called Heard It, uh, you had basketball on. I'm giving you a basketball minute. Is there anything you would like to update? Because uh, there are some people on YouTube who really want to talk about basketball. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> This is a big week for USC basketball. You know, they, they just had this weekend off because uh, Oregon was unable to play. Oregon had to shut down and pause all their team activities for two weeks, basically. So USC did not play them. Uh, they played on Thursday. They beat Oregon State, got a little redemption there after losing to them the week before. But this week upcoming is really big for them. They go to Stanford on Tuesday, another schedule change. There were like three schedule changes this past week. Um, you know, Oregon dropping out. Stanford game was supposed to be a home game. Now it's going to be a road game. They go up to Stanford. Stanford's played really well recently, even though they've been without three starters. They beat UCLA in overtime. They, they won at Arizona uh, before struggling against Arizona State. But big game there for USC. And then USC hosts UCLA next Saturday. So it's going to be a primetime game, 7 p.m. Uh, USC has an opportunity to take a step forward this week in the Pac-12 standings. They're currently, I believe, a, a game and a half out uh, from UCLA, maybe I think it's a game and a half still, uh, but they have two games left with UCLA. So a great opportunity to move up the rankings and, you know, try to win a Pac-12 championship. That reminds me that one of the last like real life things I did before uh, <laughs> quarantine was the UCLA-USC basketball The game. last thing you did. Mm, maybe. Yeah. N- yes. <laughs> one practice of, of spring after instant analysis from USC-UCLA. The finale last year, the USC won on a buzzer beater yeah. uh, from Jonah Matthews. Uh, big dramatic win for USC at the Galen Center. We'll see how it plays out this year. Uh, both teams are really good. USC obviously has Evan Mobley in the middle. And if you didn't hear the podcast, you should check it out and just listen to what Chris Capco, the assistant coach, had him on uh, for the podcast. Listen to what he says about uh, Evan Mobley. He says he has the potential to be a Hall of Fame type player. Wow. So that's really, really high praise. And coaches generally don't give that type of high praise. Uh, to their players. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's jump into questions. First one is from Edward on YouTube who says, are there any offensive linemen looking to commit? He didn't specify when, so take free reign with that. It's probably meaning signing day, yeah. Sure. Um, I don't think there's anyone else on the radar shotgun besides uh, Uke. What's his name? Uke, yeah. Yeah, Austin Uke is the one guy that USC is looking at in this class. Uh, obviously, the transfer portal is an option, and we'll see – you know, what Clay McGuire does there, the new offensive line coach. Are you looking to bring somebody in the portal? You know, how do you assess exactly who you have on your roster? Is that solely on Graham Harrell? And you say, hey, Graham, who do I got? And then go, oh, and Graham Harrell tells him, you need to go try to find somebody? I, I don't know exactly how you go about that. That would be kind of an interesting conversation with him. Just how did you figure out whether or not you needed to go to the transfer portal to see if you can find somebody? There are some options in the transfer portal, and there's still a little bit of, of, of turnover there. There's been some some big-time um, former four- and five-star guys go into the portal and have already picked up uh, you know, their, their new home, I guess, their transfer destination. So it, can USC find somebody that, that fits for their scheme and will fit in? That's a question. I, I think they're still going to be looking in the transfer portal for another offensive lineman uh, with some experience to come in and, and build with that, that group. But also look towards 2022. USC is actually making some inroads with some 2022 offense alignment. So, uh, you know, maybe you'll see, I don't know if you'll see any commitments recent, uh, soon, but uh, USC looks like they're doing a little bit better job of that class as far as getting on the radar early with some of those guys. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Teresa on YouTube asks, what is the key reason for improved recruiting? I mean, the same things I think we talk about all the time. You see that that there's some stability. You know, Clay Helton has stayed. You know, the last offseason, there was a lot of question marks about that. There obviously weren't as many this, this season. Uh, so ability is one. You see the players getting better. You, know, you see progression. You know, at, at specific uh, defensive positions in particular, you know, the defense line had some guys that really took a step forward. Uh, the defensive backs played really well. So seeing that progression, you know, that's what players are looking for. Are you going to make me better? Um, and I think that you know the personalities. You know, you've got recruiting personalities, guys that are that are very friendly. Dante Williams obviously is the name that everyone will talk about, but also guys like Craig Nivar and Vic Soto have done a really good job and and have really uh, positive uh, personalities that recruits seem to really um, be attracted to. Ryan, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I would say uh, it's like effort. You know, if we went another baseball <laughs> reference, like you know, are you gonna you gonna try to beat out that ground ball? Uh, to, to third base, you're going to run your hardest out and you're gonna, every once in a while you're going to pick up that single. I feel like USC, the effort was way down and it was sort of a, a confluence of things. A whole bunch of bad things happened at once. There's no way USC should be out of the top 20 in recruiting anytime, anywhere. doesn't matter. To be 64th uh, for that class was at the first class of 2020, absolutely ridiculous. But it had to be kind of a perfect storm where you didn't have your T. Martins or Deontay, Will you know, Dante Williams on staff. You didn't have the, the ace recruiter there. You had a bunch of guys that maybe were part-time recruiters, and you were coming off a five and seven season where people were down, and uh, just everything sort of worked against USC and all of those mistakes that you had made. Sometimes you make a mistake two years ago, and it kind of is overshadowed by well, you got this local guy that signs with you anyway. Sort of like all the basic advantages that USC had sort of were minimized for that class. And anything that was an issue was accentuated and it just became this horrible class. And really just not screwing up, you're going to get significantly better than 64th. And to be in the top 10, you had to put in a bunch of effort. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the coaches that they hired. Uh, there's just much more effort going into USC recruiting now than there was before. And don't sell, you know, the, the support staff as well. They had guys, you know, like the Gavin Morse's of the world, like working their tails off. They got a lot more people around them now, and they're getting better at supporting that staff. And you're seeing, you know, better video and better content that is not maybe consumed by the likes of us, but are definitely consumed by 16, 17-year-old kids. They love that stuff. You're seeing all schools do it now. I saw the University of Arizona just do a video with uh, Teddy Bruschi and he was out there, you know, it was like a two minute you know, promotion video of basically what like Arizona football was in the 90s. But that's what they're going to try to sell, right? And you might come join the staff or something too. But you're seeing these kind of productions everywhere. And USC just getting there, you had to kind of catch up. And I think USC's caught up in a lot of those areas. But to me, really, is the effort. You have to put in the effort. And I think there really was a lack of it. After T. Martin left, you didn't have that kind of, yeah, some people that were okay at recruiting, but there wasn't that relentless, like, your go-to guy. And maybe now, you know, Dante's your go-to guy. But with losing T. Martin, they didn't really replace him with any kind of go-to guy. And you saw the classes take a huge dip uh, when he was gone. Shagun? Mm -hmm. uh, just to answer a couple of quick questions on recruiting, Ramon Abara asked, if recruits are able to sign after Wednesday, when's the deadline for them to sign? There is no actual deadline. You can just show up to campus. Now, locking your spot in with a school, 
you know, schools are going to push you to sign that letter of intent to make sure you're locked in uh, so they know that you're going to show up. But there is no actual deadline as far as that that goes. And uh, Stabbers asked, is there a transfer portal signing deadline? Same thing. You know, Katie Nixon didn't sign with USC. He just showed up to, to USC and enrolled in classes as far as the transfer goes. Now, he signed some, you sign financial aid agreements and stuff like that. But as far as you don't re-sign a national letter of intent or anything like that. So it's a little bit different there as far as, you know, when you transfer. Um, but the same thing, there's no actual deadline for either one of those. Yeah, for, for December, it's the signing period. So there's like three days you can sign, which is why Corey Foreman signs one of those three days and then doesn't say anything until... He announces or whatever, but for the signing day, it's signing day is just the first day. It's yeah, not. It's just the no opening. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff on Facebook wanted to know uh, what it means for Vivai Malapai and Stephen Carr now that USC is adding another back. The big question is, you know, Mike Jinks said in an interview with the LA Times that they are going to try to find a feature back and stick with them. So that's the big question. You know, do those guys think, hey, I can still beat this guy out? Then, yeah. Then you stay, then you, you go in, you say, okay, I'm going to be the feature back. Um, does it become the same thing? Otherwise, you're basically, those guys are just, they're living in the same thing they've lived in the last three years. You know, it's basically like, okay, I'm going to be splitting carries with two other guys uh, because USC is going to go three deep and, you know, whichever the three that is. And they'll rotate those guys. So that's the big question there is, are they going to find an actual feature back? Or are they going to use two guys? They're going to use three guys? That's what those guys have to worry about. Um, but I, I think they should have confidence in themselves that, hey, I can beat out this, this other guy. Eric on Facebook wanted to know, uh, could there be any unexpected commits for USC on Wednesday? I don't think you're going to see unexpected as far as 2021 class. I think we kind of know who it is. Just There's so few players that are left out there to be honest as far as top end top end guys you know because so many guys signed during the december period and as we we're talking about earlier that's what it's it's basically neutered this signing signing day from being a, a national holiday anymore for college football fans it's now just hey there's going to be a couple other guys and there's significant pieces a guy like rajon davis is a significant piece however you're signing one guy versus you know a 15 20 man class mm -hmm. you're not really going to take usually you're not going to take a flyer on some like maybe lower ranked three-star guy that you, you well would take you take a shot because you could actually go to the transfer portal and get a proven guy so there's even less likely to get a surprise on signing day. Yeah, especially this year with just the amount of players that are in the transfer portal and the fact that you know expect everyone's going to be able to play right away. So that's a, a completely different ball game for for uh, teams. A lot of coaches have actually said because of the transfer portal, because of the new rule, is that they're not going to kind of reach on a guy that. Maybe a project guy, you know. Maybe we think we can can make him a, a better player when he gets to campus. Uh, we'll wait and see how he does if he goes to a JUCO or goes to another school, and then if we can talk him into transfer, and then maybe maybe we'll get him in a couple of years after he's developed, rather than having to spend a couple of years of scholarship on him when we can go in the transfer portal and get somebody else right away. Mm -hmm. Jumping back to running backs, Leonard on YouTube wanted to know who would we pick next season for starting running back for USC. I mean. Avi is the guy that does everything for them. Yeah. And he's the guy that took over at the end of the season. But when you bring Keontae Ingram in, and if he fits in the system best, that's something you got to really keep your eye on because these run, the other running backs were all on the roster already. And that was the thing with Jinx. You know, these guys are all bigger than I, you know, than I expected. I've never had anybody this big. That means they don't fit the system 
the way it normally would ha- work. So does Keontae Ingram do that? Maybe he shoots up the rankings and, and takes over at the top of the depth chart. Yeah, yeah I think probably the leader in the clubhouse would be Vi, just because, you know, he's – Jake seems to really like him. He was the – you know, when they couldn't run the ball, he had the 100-yard game and no one else could do anything. Um, I feel like he's going to be the leader in the clubhouse, but when Ingram comes in, what does spring practice look like or what does fall camp look like? And, wow, this is he a great fit for that? The problem is if he does, like, just stand out and they're like, man, he's going to be – he's the clear starter – I mean, I don't know what Carr and Vi do at that point. I mean, that would be disastrous if, if one or both of those decided to transfer out because then you're just not going to have any depth behind uh, Ingram there. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But I think until he's beaten out, I think it's going to be Vi that's probably going to be the starter. Yeah, I would have to agree. Also, keep it keeping remember at least that Keontae Ingram, one of the things that lost in the starting job at Texas this year, besides the fact that B. John Robinson is really good, and that's why USC really tried really hard to get him, is that he fumbled the ball down near the goal line a couple times. So uh, you got to take care of the football. So if he has some fumble issues, that could could drop him down the depth chart as well. Mm-hmm. Mark on YouTube wanted to know, who decides who starts at each position group, Helton or the position coaches? Could we see a lot of changes along the offensive line if Clay McGuire is actually the one who gets to decide? It's usually the position coaches, from what I've been told. I mean, the head coach is the head coach. If he wants to – this guy wants to start – and he wants that guy to start. I mean, I think he can be involved in all of those decisions, but you're going to rely on your assistant coaches and say, here, what you know, if there's some master plan and they want, you know, this to, you know, this guy to start for whatever position for whatever reason, then it's going to be the head coach's call. But for the most part, you know, the assistant coaches are doing their like they're putting out their depth chart of here who's winning what and who's going to be started. Mm-hmm. And when a new coach comes in, there's going to be a new evaluation. So that's why you might see a shakeup in that sense. But I thought it was interesting. Mark didn't ask this, but uh, we got an insight from Todd Orlando this season about how they, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, pick who's starting. Shotgun, do you remember that conversation we had with him? I uh, do not. Oh, really? Okay. Well, basically, they rank uh, players. Oh, and then- yeah. And then uh, each week they they say who's based on who's practicing each week. Yeah, Vix, like the Vix Oto will come in and say he'll rank out each of the the defense alignment, and then they'll go around the room basically and discuss um, you know why that that person is ranked there, and you know whether they need to uh, change that ranking, um, and that kind of determines your 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 playing time going into Saturday. And with Vix Oto in particular, the the rankings changed frequently. You know there were different guys that played each week that maybe you didn't see them later in the season. So uh, every position is not like that. Some coaches set their starting lineup, and that's who you're going with regardless. You know, a guy goes through a slump, you're going to stick with him type of thing. Uh, but other coaches are, you know, what have you done for me? That's that's just the nature of individual coaches. You see that in any sport. Sometimes uh, a baseball coach has the same lineup for the entire year. Other times he changes it every – other coach changes it every week game. So it just depends on the personality of the, of the coach in charge. Mm-hmm. I, I like that on the defensive side because there's yeah. some transparency there. And you can tell when you have a situation like a Toa Lobendon who's, you know, was clearly struggling – and you get a, the head coach says he's the love of my life, then you know, okay, he's not being. And you know, who knows? Maybe some of the assistants wanted a, a change, and Clay Helton was like, "No, we're going with Toa Lobendon." That could be one of those situations. Um, you see, but I like the transparency. There, you're following on the board. If I'm a player in there, I'm like, I'm working extra hard at practice because I don't want to be. I want to make you know, see that I'm moving up or staying where I am. 
I like that about that, that, that Tarlando and the staff is doing that. Mm-hmm. It also just shows a cohesion on the defensive staff uh, that they're willing to have that input and also that practice actually matters in that sense. Yes. Um, yeah. We had a question from A.K.A. Boone on YouTube uh, who said, who got the better porthole? Uh, he's referencing to Gerard's pronunciation of portal. Uh, running back USC or UCLA? So obviously UCLA got Zach Charbonnet, the, mm-hmm. the running back from Oaks Christian. Uh, that went to Michigan and is bouncing back from there, uh, whereas USC gets Keontae Ingram. Both of these guys have started in college, and I think both of them are really good fits for the offenses they're going to. So I don't think it's necessarily a one or the other because I don't think that Charbonnet would have fit perfectly with USC. I think, again, it would have been like Marquis Steph. He's a bigger, heavier back. Uh, that do, you know, I don't think that it's a great fit for the style that USC wants to run with the air raid, whereas I, I think they're – you know, both really good running backs, and I don't think Keontae Ingram necessarily fits the UCLA style the same way. So um, I think it both it just worked out that both of them got really good pickups for both of them. Mm-hmm. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on the situation? No, I agree. And sometimes it's like a trade can as a trade can help both sides. I mean, this is a situation where both programs needed a running back. There were you know a guy that had Southern California ties that USC fans were like, hey, we you should get him, you should get him. But was it really going to be? The right fit and i think both teams like shotgun said i think you got the you know back that looks like it'll fit what you're trying to do on offense mm-hmm. shotgun bobby on youtube wants to know uh if you think that this upcoming game that usc will have against ucla is andy infield's most important game of his usc career i don't think so i i think that you look back at ncaa tournament games are always more important so uh you know you look at the baylor game or you look at the providence game that they came back the smu game um, that they came back to one. So I think those are more important games there because they could still lose to UCLA in this game and end up winning the Pac-12 uh, later in the season. Coley White says, uh, does Mike Bone have any say or have to sign off on support coaches or does Coach Hilton have complete control over that? I mean, the athletic department pays the salary. So I don't think Clay Hilton can just be like, hey, I'm hiring all 14 of you guys. Come on. <laughs> I mean, unless the now if the athletic director gives them a blank check and says, go get whatever you need, then maybe. But I don't think that's what's happening at USC. Mm-hmm. I think they're working together, uh, certainly better than what we've seen in the past. It's an athletic department that knows how to hire people. And I think they're they're involved in a lot of that stuff, at least as sounding boards. And so, you know, you can give advice on, hey, looking at this, looking at this, where before you wouldn't see like a Lynn Swan or he, he wasn't going to get involved in things like that, where this athletic department will but no one's going to get hired unless clay helton's signing off on it so he's going to have the, the final say on that but you get like you said shock and said the guys write the checks they can they can veto guys too mm-hmm. uh, mark says was running power with pulling guards in the air raid a drevno thing or is it a helton thing helton has said many times over the years that power is his favorite run play i think we'll have that answer next year when we see them on the field and if they try to run that stuff uh, again uh, you know, it's it's difficult to run those type of pulling plays the wider your splits are. So maybe that's why USC was shrinking their splits back a little bit. Uh, it, it's hard to say until we see what they're going to look like this year under Clay McGuire. Mm-hmm. Ryan, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it was more of a, it wasn't necessarily a Clay Helton thing. Maybe there was some support there for what Drevno would do. But, you know, Drevno was just, he was going to be, running a different scheme. And we were told that doesn't matter, but I think it obviously did. And I think Tim Drevno can be a great offensive line coach, but you need to have the right offense. And it just seemed to be like apples and oranges. And so I feel like you're going, you're going to see a lot less of that, I think. So to me, that would be 
maybe Clay Helton was involved in it, but because Tim Drevno was there, I don't think if Clay Helton's like, hey, we need to pull, and Clay McGuire's like, no, and Graham is like, no, that I, I don't think it's going to, to happen. But it's sort of like you had a guy that that's what his bread and butter was. He knew how to, to block that, but it didn't necessarily fit what the offense they were trying to run. I know we've mentioned this a couple of times, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Perry on Facebook says, who's going to be USC's left tackle next season? Ryan, I'll let you give it your opinion. <laughs> we uh, we went over this on the Family Feud podcast a little indeed. bit. So if I had to bet right now, obviously no portal uh, yet. A portal would be, I think they're still going to look in the portal, but like Shotgun said, with Clay McGuire, he's got to come in and evaluate. I think... Corland Ford is the guy um, that's, you know, as, he's definitely got upside there. I think there was people inside USC that were really excited about him. If you're going to go for somebody young, we got to see him, you know, play a little bit at the end of the season. I I think he's going to end up being the, the starter if, unless they go to the transfer portal and, and bring in, a, a, you know, someone that's an experienced guy that can be an automatic starter like they did with uh, Drew Richmond a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say because you know Cortland Ford didn't even practice at left tackle much this year. He was playing he practicing a guard. So Casey Collier was the guy that actually played you know left tackle uh, with the second team. So is he in front of Cortland Ford? Do you make a move again? Is it you say, hey, Elijah Vera Tucker worked out really well. Let's try that again. Let's push out Andrew Voorhees or let's push out Liam Jimmins. Jimmins was a guy I really liked last year. Um, he struggled some this year. But I think that, you know, if you give him a full spring and the fall camp, I, I think that he's going to be able to take another step forward. That's a, you know, we've seen him take really big leaps during, in, in those camps, which USC obviously didn't have this last year. And all those players, I think, were kind of in that same boat where no one got spring practice. And you were moving basically everyone on that offense line. Everyone that started was in a different position besides Brett Elon. So I think this spring ball is going to be really big for this group. Um, so I think those young guys have an opportunity. John Monheim could be in there too, even though I think he's more of an inside uh, interior guy, a mauler that can play a guard position. Um, but, you know, that's going to be, that's kind of going to be up to Clay McGuire. What does he really like as a, you know, in that tackle position and whose skill set kind of fits that best? You know, Collier, Cortland Ford both have the length and, and the, the size to play that position. Uh, Collier especially has the height there too. I think Liam Jimmins has the feet to play that position. Andrew Voorhees has played some tackle before. So I, I think you, you got four candidates there unless you can bring somebody in the portal. Dennis on Facebook wanted to know, uh, will the safety from Texas, Savion Alford, uh, replace Talano Hufunga? I think that's what you're hoping. Yeah. You know, uh, Do they use him in the same way? That will depend on Alford's skill set. You know, I haven't seen him in person, so I can't say. I know Gerard, I think, saw him at the yeah. at the opening, so he could talk about it a little bit better. But uh, does he have the same skill set as Talanoa where they can move him around as much as they did? Or was Talanoa just kind of, you know, a unicorn and they used him this way this year and next year they'll go back to a more traditional usage of the safety? Um, that could be the case. Uh, but Alford would probably be the front runner there just to start off with unless – you move Greg Johnson or Max Williams to that other safety spot because both of those guys have plenty of experience as well as Isaiah Paul now. Mm -hmm. Dennis, if you want to check out the Paracel podcast uh, that I did with Gerard, we go like in full detail about it. And like Shotgun said, Gerard did see him play in person, so you can get uh, more info on that. Uh, Stephen Poway on Facebook wanted to know, any word on Kyle Ford's rehab progress? Will he be 100% by spring, summer, or fall? I think we did an update 
last week, right? He was definitely progressing. Um, yeah. I heard he would be good to go. Yeah, it seems like it. Yes. And he's posted – he posted an update, right, Shotgun? Yeah, he's posted, the, you know, running on treadmills and stuff. So he, he did – he actually went a couple weeks ago and, and was – maybe not a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. Um, but with one of the local quarterback coaches, you know, they're always looking for receivers. So he went out there and was running some routes and catching the ball, not full speed um, and, and not doing a bunch of cuts or anything, but out there on the field running, which is always a positive sign to see uh, where he will be. I think with fall or with spring practice being pushed back to April, that gives him a little bit better chance. Maybe by the end of fall of spring practice, we see him out there, you know, doing some some full full uh, pad work. Mm-hmm. Coley White wanted to know, uh, last year, USC had a poor recruiting class. Is 2021 the year it shows on the field, or will it not be a factor due to the senior talent and strong coaching? Strong coaching, interesting. Um, I would say, um, I think you're going to start to see it in 2021, but it's going to really have more of an effect in, like, 2022, um, where you know you had a 2019 class that, you know, was what number twenty or something? It wasn't great. Certainly, the, you know, the worst we had seen at USC in a long time. And then twenty twenty just sort of fell off a cliff. But there's potential. Like if you just get a couple of guys that are contributing from that class, that's one. And the second thing is, with the the pandemic, you essentially are combining the twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one classes together. And so all of that eligibility is sort of like matched. So. It's sort of like it was a godsend for Clay Helton that you could kind of mask this bad class and it won't be as prevalent like going forward because you basically have these two classes that are merged together and one of them is really good. Now, you might be dropping some of those guys, like some of those guys might drop out from 2020 or you know from anywhere, but it's going to be a huge freshman class um, from the 2020 and 2021 putting them together. But the fact that USC did sign a small class sort of mitigates that a little bit too. So it's... It was a terrible class, but it might work out with the circumstances around it where you won't have these like lingering effects that you would have normally when you have like top 10, top 10, top 10, 64, top 10 kind of thing. The Give the USC coaching staff credit because what they're doing right now in the transfer portal, all those guys are kind of slotting in in that 2019, 2020 class where you basically have a big vacancy of talent. Mm-hmm. So fitting in a guy like Xavion Alford, who would have been in that class, uh, you know, fitting in an Ishmael Softshirt, who I think would be in that class as well, that is adding talent where you basically have a black hole. So that's really important. So it's not like they're grabbing, you know, these guys are graduate uh, seniors that are coming in, graduate transfers coming in as seniors, and they have one year, and they're going to be out at the same time of a lot of your other talent. No, they're filling in the hole in between your your talented classes. So that's really important. So give them credit for for finding, you know, some really big-time transfers, but also ones that are kind of filling in at the right, as far as the right class goes, uh, to fit in what you need going forward. So uh, they're, they're, you know, they're helping to mend that bridge a little bit. I think that you'll definitely start seeing it more this year, especially if you have some injuries, you know, because your depth is where you get hit, you know, your talented depth. Um, and this year they could see that after losing, especially on the defensive side, all those talented guys that are going into the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go into rapid fire. We have a couple more questions. Leonard uh, has a similar question. He says, even with a low recruiting class from last year, does USC still have the most talent in the Pac-12 with some seniors choosing to stay? 
So we'll find out the uh, 24-7 sports. They do that talent composite every, I think it's in August, is when we get that n new number. USC was number one in the Pac-12. Uh, I think fell out of the top five, but they were they were ahead of Oregon. Oregon actually might pass USC, but like Shotgun said, it's not just about your recruiting classes. It's about guys that have transferred in the program as well, and they were able to add uh, some high-ranked talent. And it's, it's really just going by the recruiting rankings. I think Oregon might pass USC, but it's it's going to be close. So it'll be it'll be something interesting to watch. But it like, usually doesn't come out. I think until like July or August. I'll find out for sure from twenty four seven. But um, it it'll be USC and Oregon as far as the talent composite index goes. But does Oregon have enough to pass USC? We'll have to see. Yeah, Oregon obviously has had the the Pac twelve's best class the last two years. So that's actually obviously going to help boost them up. Uh, and it kind of just depends on who's left from, you know, four years ago and five years ago that's still on the roster as far as the talent overall. But it's getting much closer as far as that. USC is no longer just head and shoulders above the rest of the Pac-12. Yeah. Keith on Periscope, didn't forget about you guys, said, why did the SEC, why didn't the SEC or other base schools offer Jackson Dart? And why is he the best high school player but not ranked a five-star? Yeah, Max Preps named him, what, the player of the year. And that's really about your senior season, it's not necessarily, when you're getting a five-star guy, we get we go to games all the time, and you know, someone will come up to you and it's like, my son you know, ran for 1,500 yards, and he did this and did that. It's like, well, that's great. You have high school accolades, you, and, and that's what they're showing for Jackson Dart and uh, you know, his uh, senior year. But when you're talking about ranking a guy a five-star, 24-7 Sports is trying to project a first-round draft pick. That's essentially what they're doing. And I think... Jackson Dart, if he played like another year, I mean, he just kind of came on the season late and to the scene late. Who knows? Like he had the potential, looked like he has the potential to be someone like that. But these are guys that you're projecting as like first round draft picks for the NFL. So sometimes it's not just like the latecomer, it's like the full body of work. They've seen him in tons of camps and combines and all that stuff. And they put a lot into trying to figure out who's going to be that those guys. And so, um, yeah, it's, for Jackson Dart, it's just I think it was, you know having that one big year. I don't think it was enough to project him up into uh, those five star rankings. Mm -hmm. Shotgun. So part of the reason why he didn't have the offers that maybe you would expect other guy to put up the numbers was Max Press Player of the Year is because of the pandemic. You know, schools couldn't come and visit. You know, schools weren't allowed. You know, coaches were not allowed to go uh, watch games and stuff in person. So you're looking at tape. Um, you know, how many also quarterbacks are the first position to to uh, commit in classes. The majority of the time, you know, just on average, your quarterbacks are oftentimes making commitments two years in advance because then you want them to be the leader of the class. So a lot of SEC schools have already filled up their classes. Um, you know, Georgia just picked up, they flipped a, a kid from South Carolina for two years from now. So that's their quarterback for the future, basically. Um, but, you know, Jackson Dart, a late bloomer, didn't come on until his senior year, blew up this year, showed not only the arm strength and the, the throws he can make, but also the running ability. So we saw him last year in uh, Orange County at an Under Armour event. He didn't necessarily stand out. You know, Miller Moss was there and some and Jake Garcia and some of those guys that USC was uh, going after, they stood out a lot more than he did. 
You know, so he's made some big strides in his game. And that happens with 17-year-olds. So, you know, he made some big strides, and normally that would get him on the radar of a bunch of other schools. They probably, you know, if they need a quarterback, they'd probably be coming and looking at him. And for USC, it worked out. They needed a second quarterback after Jay Garcia decommitted. Uh, but for Dart, unfortunate for him, he didn't get a ton of offers, but he got USC, so he got what he needed. You know, so um, he, he had some suitors at the end, and, you know, it, it worked out that, you know, he ends up being Max Press Player of the Year as well. Because also you can win. It's easier to win awards when not everybody in the country is playing too. That helps. Shotgun, it's rapid fire. Just just a friendly reminder. Rapid Sorry, fire. No, you're good. Uh, Matt has a question for you, Ryan, on YouTube. He says, hey, Ryan, Coach Harrell said that there's always an open, open competition for positions. Do you really think that is the case? Jackson Dart could really change the dynamic of the offense, especially in the run game. Yeah, that's bull. That's not, that's not like Keith Slovis is a starter. So, um, you, you coaches say that, but you know, Jackson Dart could come in. I don't know what he would have to do. Um, you know, even you saw a guy like Sam Darnold come in and just was like, wow, it's pretty amazing. And it took, you know, three games for him to be, you know, the fourth game is when it, whatever he's named the starter. Um, the offense would really have to struggle again. And Jackson Dart would just have to be crushing it in practice. And then maybe they would make some sort of move similar to what we saw with Sam Darnold. But no, I mean, Keaton Slovis is the guy. They've invested a lot in him. Um, you know Graham Harrell knows what he can do. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to make excuses for him. I mean, he performed at the record levels for a freshman. So, yeah, I think there'll be a competition. But, you know, it, barring some sort of miracle, like Keaton Slovis is going to be your starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin on YouTube said, will next year's offense underperform, underperform or will the defense overperform? Which is more likely? So offense underperforming, defense overperforming. I want to be optimistic and say the offense gets on track this year uh, to where we would kind of expect it. I think you'll see the, the year two jump that we were expecting this year, next year, uh, especially if you run the ball. And I think the defense was good this year, and I think they'll continue to be good if they can fill in those vacancies, there's some big holes to fill. And I think you've raised the bar for the defense because they did play better this year and you like yeah. the staff. And you sort of, you might have lowered the bar a little on the offense because the, the bar was pretty high after Keaton's freshman year and thinking the, the sophomore campaign is going to be like just gangbusters. And it, you know, it just wasn't as, as exciting as you would have, have liked in a weird year. So, yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. I think the defense makes more strides and gets even a little bit better. Ryan, since I've dubbed you the Pac-12 guru, I'm directing this question to you. Uh, Coley says, which Pac-12 team do you feel will be the least formidable coming into the fall of 2021? Cal, question mark? Oregon State, question mark? The least? Um, well, I answer. <laughs> who would you say? Arizona. I mean, they just don't have talent. They're, Arizona's got a lack of talent. I like Jed Fish. I think he's going to do some good things, but there's a lot like the video I saw today. There's going to be a lot of that, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of wins. Uh, they're on a 12-game losing streak that probably is going to continue. I mean, Oregon State can beat teams. You know, they're they're on an upward trajectory. Like, Cal is good, you know. I mean, they lose Tim DeRuiter. He goes over to Oregon. That'll be an interesting, you know, fit up there. Arizona, I like the direction they're going. I, I feel like they're going to go in the right direction, but it's going to take a little while. Now, I thought the same thing would happen with Washington State and Colorado, and they won some games, uh, you know, with new staffs and everything. But I, I feel like they had better pieces in place. 
I mean, Colorado, like Cardarell still has Mustafa Johnson and Katie Nixon. And they had a bunch of guys that were like dudes. They're like, okay, so they can play. Um, I think Herb Edwards had that when he came into Arizona State. I just don't think you have that in Arizona. Even like Rankinell's out. And um, yeah, so I, I agree with Chalk. And I think, it, unfortunately, the 12 game losing streak is probably going to be added to in uh, 2021 for Arizona. Shoddy, what's your take? Arizona. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Reading comments over here. Um, Jose on YouTube wanted to know. Can you imagine USC losing the first game to San Jose State? No pun intended, since his name is Jose. They're, I mean, they're legit. I, ima- I, I say this to my roommate all the time. He's like, "Can you imagine?" I like, I can imagine a lot of things. Yeah, I can imagine it. Sure. What was it Star Wars thing? Like um, when they Han Solo, they were like trying to convince him to go after Princess Leia. It was like this, you know, more than like more wealth than you can imagine. Because I can imagine a lot. So yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, San Jose State is coming off their most successful season in, in program history. Their head coach did not leave and take a new job. So, yeah, you know, they, they built some positive things there. So it, it should be a challenge for USC to start off the season. Mm-hmm. I think it will be a challenge for sure. I mean, and, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to lose San Jose State, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's like a legit team. Yeah, and team that USC rescheduled or got on the schedule uh, rather than UC Davis. So there you go. Uh, Mark Watkins want to know, uh, will uh, Raleigh Brown is set to announce his commitment on Friday. Is he Oklahoma bound or does USC actually have a shot? I didn't see, I haven't seen that he's committing on Friday. If that's the case, then Oklahoma is probably the favorite right there. Um, But if he's committing this early, don't expect that to be the final say in his recruitment. I expect him to, you know, to be if, if he rec- commits early. I think his recruitment will still be a topic of conversation, uh, leading possibly all the way to December, but definitely into the fall. Hey, real quick, you guys, um, yes. thinking about this, you mentioned it was a rescheduled game, the San Jose State yes. game. They would have played UC Davis. What if? Okay, if USC loses to San Jose State, is there going to be like? What the hell is Mike Bone doing? We had an easy win, and they took it. They put this a defeated team on the schedule. Like, is that going to be a thing? Yes, no. because no, the AD doesn't get blamed if you lose to San Jose State. <laughs> the AD shouldn't be no. blamed. No, but no the fans will ba- blame anything and everyone. No, that's what happens. It's not the AD's fault if you lose to San Jose State. Go take care of business on the field. Yes, you're USC. Yes. Act like it. Yes, that's the right answer. But he's asking, will he get blamed? No. Yes. So it's going to be coach's fault for sure. Well, everyone knows that Clay Helton will be blamed, but I do think the AD will still be blamed. <laughs> Ryan, what do you think? I mean, yeah. Like, yes, obviously it's not Mike Bone's fault. He saved this tradition, you know. They came in and saved the tradition. They did the right thing. They scheduled who they could schedule. There wasn't a lot of choices. You didn't know San Jose State was going to, like, go gangbusters and their coach is going to be, like, the, you know, top prospect in the country or whatever, one of them. So, yeah, I mean, this is – it's better for USC. This is a more legit game. You're playing a team – when they played Western Michigan a couple of years ago, uh, they they had won 10 games the week the, the year before or something. So, I, I, that's better. Like, you'd rather see a team like that than UC Davis. But, yeah, you can't blame 
Bone, but they're, they'll be they'll be mad at Bone for for one scheduling that, but then also why is Clay that coach? He just lost to San Jose State, so there'll be a lot. They'll be so in angered at at uh, infuriated at Helton that they won't be able to think about being angered anyone else. I don't think. No. Um, but this, like you said, San Jose State right? that can be a positive for USC because if they then have another successful season in the Mountain West. Then that should be you know look good resume. on USC's resume yep. as the season progresses. Western Michigan was a little bit different because PJ Fleck had been the coach there and he had just taken the the job uh, in Minnesota, I believe. Yeah. A couple more questions and then we'll wrap this puppy up. Uh, PF on Facebook said, "Is USC going after uh, the linebacker from Tennessee, Henry Tooto?" I always say that wrong. I apologize. Of the transfer portal. I believe you said it correctly, but yes, they are. They're one of the, one of the leaders there and. Um, if, if he decides that he wants to play closer to home, then USC is probably the front runner then. Yeah. And that's a guy like we talked about. Are you taking a flyer on a three-star running back or, oh, get, get this proven guy who's now in the transfer portal and he's coming from a dumpster fire program. Uh, he, you could potentially get him on your team and help him start right away. And again, fills in in the middle of those classes where you struggled at. So another, mm-hmm. another potential to add, add a talented depth in a recruit recruiting class that that you struggled in previously andy on youtube says which receiver will have a breakout season next year kyle ford or brew mccoy i really like this question because i think brew mccoy already broke out which game i mean this season he had over what 400 yards i think it was and he had multiple touchdowns so i think that's a breakout as a freshman yeah it's tough to compare question is kyle ford or gary bryant maybe or one of the young guys that are coming in brew had 200 yards 236 Close to 400. We'll count it. <laughs> it would have been 400 in a regular season. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I like. I think Kyle Ford's going to do some big things. So uh, as long as he stays healthy, uh, I think he's going to have a, you know, we've seen Brew, maybe you know, limited, but we've seen him. I think you're going to see some good things from Ford. Mm-hmm. Oh, two more questions I lied. Tony says, uh, did USC make a mistake by choosing uh, Keaton Slovis over JT Daniels? Oh, my gosh. I know. I hate this question. We get it. Way too often. I know. They didn't make a choice. JT Daniels got hurt. There was never an open competition. They said, hey, let's see who wins this battle. By the time that JT Daniels transferred, there had been one practice. And then there was a pandemic. So there was no competition there. So it's not like they chose anyone. Keaton Slovis was a starter. JT Daniels said, I'd rather go over here to Georgia where I have a chance to win a national championship rather than being in a potential competition with a guy in the in the fall and, hey, am I going to fall too far behind this guy? Whereas Georgia, there was an open competition um, from uh, Jake Fromm leaving and there were three or four different guys there. So it wasn't a USC choice. JT Daniels chose to transfer to Georgia and it's worked out perfectly for him. Georgia should have put him in the starting lineup sooner and maybe they would have been in the college football playoff as well. Hmm. Yeah, anything short of like, well, JT, you can go out there and play in crutches. Otherwise, I don't think that was going to happen. He, he didn't choose. Like, he never got to really compete after, you know, Keen Slopes had a great year. He kind of saw the writing on the wall and transferred out. So it's not like he lost. He just, he left. Mm-hmm. One final question, and it's from Mark. He wants to know, will there be tunnel vision next Sunday because of the Super Bowl? New. No. Yeah, we decided. Is that your decision? <laughs> go. Do whatever you're going to do. Sit on your couch. Have a few beers. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We're not going to tunnel vision. We won't bother with you next week. So we'll uh, – <laughs> if there was more signing day stuff going on, we could do like a Thursday show or something. 
But we'll have a bunch of stuff after signing day. But no, we won't do a live show. We'll do two weeks from now. So February, whatever that is, the 14th or something. Is that is that what it is? Let's see very quickly. Yes. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Hey. Valentine's Day television. Get your date and watch television. Sounds like, like a great it. time, right? Yeah, especially you're not going to be able to go out to restaurants anyways in Southern exactly. California. You might as well just, you know, get some takeout and enjoy tunnel vision. And such great entertainment for a date. <laughs> That's what I'll say. All righty, yeah. gentlemen. I any final thoughts? After that. If you take your date to tunnel vision, I'm guessing you're not going to have many more dates with that same person. You never know. You never know. What if they're like a huge USC fan? You can be like, I pay attention and here you go. I'm just kidding. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this thing up? I'm excited for television Valentine's Day now. I'm just like, I'm going to skip the Super Bowl. I'll just go Valentine's Day television. I love it. Sure. There you go. Kind of sad, but um, <laughs> make sure you guys are, are watching the 24/7 Sports uh, Recruiting National Signing Day show uh, when Rajon Davis is making his announcement. I think it's 9 a.m. Keely. Is that correct? 8 a.m. I believe. 8 a.m. Pacific. We'll, Early. Put, we'll have it on the <laughs> message board. Make sure you check out the message board as well. If you're not a subscriber, make sure you subscribe so you can check out the war room and find out who that wide receiver is. There's no go. longer a wide receiver. There you go. All right, it's going to wrap it up. That is Ryan. That is Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see you all in two weeks. May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.